You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. HubSpot has been a huge supporter of the show. They have so many tools that can help your business. The one that I want to just mention today, so you go check it out, is their new AI chatbot. It's called Campaign Assistant. HubSpot's Campaign Assistant is a game changer for creating marketing campaigns at scale. It turns your key selling points into a cohesive pitch, which helps you deliver knockout emails, ads, and landing pages in minutes. Just choose your content type, input a few keywords, key points, pick a tone like friendly or witty, and let the AI robots handle the rest. You can copy and paste the content to whatever channel you'd like, or even convert it directly into publishable campaigns without leaving your HubSpot interface. So let Campaign Assistant take care of the campaigns so you can get back to growing your business. Work smarter, not harder at HubSpot.com slash campaign dash assistant. Where did I come from? Um, Well, you know, I had an interesting upbringing in that I got to see all three income classes by an early age. My dad was a really smart engineer, very, very, um, uh, you know, brilliant guy, read a lot of books, really intelligent, but he had a lot of trauma in his life and that he never healed from. And as a result of that, he got addicted to drugs and my middle class environment was ripped away from me. When I was about 13 years old, I got caught up in gangs. I would do anything to basically survive on the streets. And my mom and I were relegated to an environment of poverty. And that was from about 13 to 17. At 17 years old, my mom started dating a man who was an entrepreneur. And he took an interest in her. And so he had no choice but to take an interest in me. And as a result of, of that, I got a mentor in my life for the very first time. And he taught me about entrepreneurship. And I made a decision that I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I was terrible at school. I dropped out of high school. I went to community, uh, community uh, continuation high school. And then from there, I went to a community college and just, I never looked back. I, I made the decision to be an entrepreneur. I did have a job as an executive for a brief period of time in the computer sciences field. And that was what got me involved in technology and got me involved in looking at companies, um, you know, with the technological perspective. And I've applied that perspective to every venture I've been a part of since. And, uh, and how was, how was, so how was jumping into entrepreneurship at a very young age? How, like this, this mental relationship, what did you, what did you learn at a young age? What made you want to go into it? Because I would almost argue that most people that saw entrepreneurship from a young age would like stay the hell away from it because of the hours, the time, the energy, the effort, but you like dove head first into it with everything you've done uh, since then. Yeah. You know, at first it was the money because I saw him making 
millions of dollars. He he would was in the foreclosure business. We'd buy foreclosures, and he'd have cashiers checks on him, you know, for five hundred thousand dollars at all times. And it was a joke that he'd say, "I have five hundred thousand cash on me," because you know <laughs> he wanted to be able to pick up a foreclosure in a moment's notice. And I, you know, I raised on the streets. I never saw people with five hundred thousand in cash on them. Right? That was like. Uh, a whole nother level. So at first I, I, it was, I got involved in it because it was the money. And to me, you know, the way my mind worked was simple as I couldn't be a doctor and I couldn't be a lawyer, but I could become the person that wrote the checks to the doctors and the lawyers. And so I thought it was silly that in school, they never taught you, you know, there's three career paths here, not just two. get good grades and be a doctor and be a lawyer. It's like, there's a third one that is get bad grades and become the person that employs the doctors and the lawyers. So you, uh, well, you, yeah, you, you have part. a three career paths, three career paths, yeah. right? And they don't teach yeah. one of them. Yeah. Well, and you know, they, we just, they don't teach entrepreneurship in school. And I had every teacher tell me that I wasn't smart enough that I, you know, should get involved in some sort of a trade, which to me, you know, didn't seem like a desirable path. You know, I, I tried roofing one summer and I was miserable, you know, in Southern California, it gets really hot during the summer. And so I was up on top of roofs at 110 degree heat doing manual labor I worked in a wood shop for a period of time. Uh, I did all, I worked in a, a dry cleaner and I was like, this sucks. And so being an entrepreneur seemed to be much better than those environments. So what was the first thing that you dove into? Uh, my first company was called 24 seven tech. And the idea was simple. You, we, you know, at that time, um, computers were failing constantly. You had these, this thing called the blue screen of death where you'd be, you know, working on something and it would just crash. Nothing saved. Computers were really a tormenting experience in the uh, mid to late 90s. We had Y2K <laughs> and other things going on at that time that, you know, that, that made uh, computing a very difficult challenge for most people. And so my business would basically send a network repair technician to your location. And then we had value add services that we provided, but it was called 24-7 Tech. And our byline was, if your network's a wreck, call 24-7 Tech. And I remember I got an 800 number, 888 or 877-247 Tech. And people could call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they'd basically, you know, I had my, um, my, my phone set to ring and I'd wake up and answer the call and at first, it was me doing the repair, and then eventually, I scaled the organization. Oh, amazing! And and what it's you know jumping into this, this was uh, your first sort of venture, but it was successful. So how did you how did you hit the ground running and and be successful? Because that's also a rarity, right, in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it so much as successful. I, I built it to a million dollar business. I put thirty thousand dollars into it, uh, which was all credit card. So I I took out a bunch of student loans at the time. I uh, went to uh, Moore Park Community College. And then I ended up transferring to a four-year called Cal Lutheran University. And so I started this company while I was in school. I leveraged uh, college, college loans, credit cards, and any other device I could to start it. And, you know, I lost some money on it. I ended up selling my interest to a partner. I wasn't the CEO of it. I uh, took a, uh, it was my idea. I ran the entire thing, but I had someone else be the CEO because I was, uh, told I wasn't ready for that. And I had some insecurities around my age. I was only 19 or 20 at the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was uncomfortable with having someone else as a CEO when I was doing all the work. So I, I actually went to go raise venture capital. And the person that I had that was the CEO, didn't, uh, he and I did not see eye to eye and, and creating a, a scalable business that, that had venture capital. And I was mesmerized by 
the dot com, you know, the first dot com wave, the Netscapes and all of these companies going IPO. I wanted a venture funded technology company and I wanted to one day, you know, go IPO myself. So uh, he and I didn't see eye to eye. And a venture capitalist told me that my business idea wasn't scalable. And I remember that crushed me because I didn't know what that meant. I thought I could scale anything because I had, you know, a tremendous amount of belief in myself. And I, uh, after I talked to my uh, colleague or my co-founder, I decided to part ways and pursue a scalable path from that point and, forward. And then what was, okay, so then, and do you, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah. It, like is hindsight, hindsight's hundred percent correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was a labor intensive business and I was right. a 19 year old kid that what well, I wasn't like a, the leader of all leaders and the ability to command <laughs> and lead labor, right. By any means at yeah. that time. I still had a lot, you know, and I'm still developing myself as a leader to this day. So, you know, in no shape or form was I ready to lead the masses at that time like I thought I was. Um, yeah, I guess when, when you're young, you always feel like, you you know, you can conquer the world. But uh, unfortunately, many people are, are very humbled um, when they yeah. really try and build something. Uh, it's not easy. So, yeah. OK, so what did you what did you go into? What did you go into next? Because I know that you've like you've done um, you've done uh, several things over your career. Yeah. So we can we can stick to the sure. the, the largest ones. Um, yeah, well, so the next one was a company called Sky Pipeline. And that was a and I at that time. Uh, broadband wireless wasn't ubiquitous as of yet. So a lot of people mm -hmm. had challenges getting high speed internet connections. And I acquired a company for $15,000 out of Santa Barbara. And I started building a wireless infrastructure. And we were one of the early pioneers in broadband wireless infrastructure and built a network starting in Santa Barbara. But then eventually we scaled the network all over the state of California and ended up exiting that company in a $25 million transaction to a publicly traded company called COVID. How did you, how did you find a, sorry, how did you find a company for $15,000? Yeah. Where did you find that? Um, there, well, there was a ISP that was purchasing another ISP and yeah. a hobby project of that ISP was this wireless thing that pretty much sucked and didn't work. <laughs> and so the <laughs> ISP that was acquiring it, sold me this, uh, you know, it was like four or five customers. There was a T1 line and like an access point. And they wanted to, you know, they wanted the, uh, you know, the, the high-end subscribers, the, the T1 and DSL. And, and so they yeah. basically let me take over this, this piece of it that was a hobby of the founder of the ISP being acquired. So I grabbed the founder of the ISP being acquired. It was a very engineering-centric individual. Um, I heard his vision out. I put 15,000 of cash in and then over time or shortly thereof, I, I raised about $3 million by basically just meeting anybody I possibly could and telling them I have a scalable, scalable venture funded idea, venture fundable yeah. idea and ended up raising You got all the money. terminology from the first time you got shut down. <laughs> yeah, I did. And well, and you know what happened it was one day I was at Sky Pipeline and I, it was late at night and this is why I'm, I believe in faith. Uh, I was late at night. I was working. It was just me and an installer at the time. The phone rang and it was a guy inquiring about Internet service for his ranch in uh, the San Inez Valley, which is a very uh, high end area. And I asked him, you know, whose ranch was it? It was a technician. And he says, well, it's for an individual who's a very prominent venture capitalist. And I said, I, I won't bring him the service because I don't have coverage in the area. But if he meets me, maybe I will. And so I basically twisted this guy's arm into a meeting with me. And when I did at the end of the meeting, he said he'd invest in the company and he offered me a million dollars at the end of a lunch. And then from there, I started expanding. 
Amazing, man. Um, okay. So then, so that was your first successful, like truly successful exit. Like that's, yeah. that's considerable. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was, you know, it was, I, I didn't make as much money as a venture capitalist did. I learned when people talk yeah. about success, it was an extreme success because I learned a lot, you know, in that venture. And, and, um, and I applied that learning to my next endeavors and my next endeavors and, and, you know, and, and there's been success in every single piece of everything that I've done because I've just learned a ton from each experience. No, I agree. I think that's kind of the, the, that's the, the main lesson in it. Even if it doesn't go as, as well as you'd like, like you're not making as much money as a VC. Okay. That sucks. But yeah. like those lessons compound over time, right? Oh yeah, for okay. sure. That, and that's the approach that I have to business is that, you know, we're going to, we're going to experiment and learn and experiment and learn. And my business career over the past 25 years, has just been a lot of experimentation, a lot of learning. And I've come out, you know, net positive in terms of the capital that I've been able to retain uh, through the process. And I'm continuing to deploy that capital into new experiments and I'll continue to do so in perpetuity or for as long as yeah. I live. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> um, so after that, uh, I guess, uh, what other, what other, so you, that was your tech exit, kind of a tech, exit. it was like a, it was like a telco exit, but still that was yeah. a, pretty close to tech. Um, what comes next? I started a software business. Uh, well, it was a social networking enterprise called Path Connect. And at that time there was no monetization for that, but the idea was, you know, I would, I would connect people's paths that had goals with mentors. So if you set a goal, I'd connect you to a mentor. I invested a significant sum into that. Basically all the money that I made by the exit of Sky Pipeline, either blew or invested into this next venture. And I had no path to monetization. And I ended up um, uh, rolling that business into my acquisition of Visalis because what I brought to the table with the partners of Visalis was a technology background, uh, a vision for how network marketing and direct selling mm -hmm. would change. And, um, and then they brought some uh, core experience in the direct selling and network marketing space. And so together we combined forces and that became the, uh, the, the Visalis venture, which was the most successful venture that I've been a part of. And, and, and going into Visalis, uh, give me a, give me an idea of the landscape. So how, how did you enter? Why did you enter? Why did you choose to go down that route? What was uh, your general feel of the company? Uh, where did you want to take it? Um, because that's also very different than all your previous ventures too. Like totally, like yeah. it's a complete 180, uh, totally, totally pivoted from tech. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so what, where, well, was, where was your head at? Yeah, there, there's a couple of things that were interesting to me is one in technology for me to acquire a hundred dollar a month customer in broadband wireless. I had to deploy a lot of capital and build a lot of infrastructure in the nutritional supplementation space. I didn't have to deploy really any capital. I just had to have inventory to be able to provide for that capital. So like whereas in broadband, I might be, you know, 15 months plus on return on investment and in nutrition. I was actually positive because they gave me the money first and then I shipped them inventory. So I, I like the economics of the space and I did see a lot of analogies between the two. And I also saw a space that was ripe for innovation. And I thought that bringing my technology background and my understanding of building infrastructure to a very legacy driven um, uh, industry, $168 billion industry that had no innovation at all at the time that I entered into it and was trailing behind any other sector. So I thought maybe this could be an industry that I disrupt that was my the primary reason why I got involved in it was purely out of the desire to disrupt it through technology. The other thing is 
I, one of my investors at Sky Pipeline had a company in the space. They were a very prominent family that had done billions of dollars in, in transaction, private equity uh, background. Uh, and they had acquired a can candle company that had a direct selling engine and they had something like 50,000 salespeople. And at Sky Pipeline, I struggled to get five salespeople. And I thought to myself, like, how could I create a scalable model that had 50,000 salespeople? Like to me, that sounded very exciting. And so I ventured into the direct selling space to try to understand how to scale a sales model. And that was, you know, my primary objective, disrupt the existing um, you know, businesses within it through technology and, and, and learn about scaling. And those were the two real objectives that I entered into it with. And I liked the product, much like I liked the Sky Pipeline product. I liked the Vicealis product when I entered and I liked the original doctor behind the product. And I thought there was some innovation within that doctor that I could unlock and bring to market, much like the innovation that I unlocked at Sky Pipeline. So a lot of analogies. I didn't see it as totally yeah. different. No, I was going to say, I was going to say, and help me understand uh, the business model for Vizalis. So help me understand, like when you say direct selling model, um, how does that differ from like a, a, a CPG company or a direct to consumer company now where they're going online or they're going to retail? Like what does that direct selling model look like? And yeah. I, I guess I, cause I, I, I recognize that direct selling model from like an enterprise B2B space. Because that's mm -hmm. you're all you're going pure outbound, but this is a consumer product at, at its core. So how did that work? Yeah, well, you're 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 recruiting affiliates basically. So you know the the way to describe it would be an affiliate model, and you're recruiting affiliates to basically sell that product. Um, you know, and and our unique innovation was. Our, our, our marketing was uh, a challenge. And now you'll see on the internet, everyone has challenges. And we brought challenges to social media. So we launched a thing called the Body by Vi 90 Day Challenge. When you mm -hmm. join the Body by Vi 90 Day Challenge, uh, you were encouraged to bring three friends with you. And when you brought those three friends with you, we gave you your product as free. We built into our economic model incentive structure for, um, uh, you know, well, our, our, in our cost model, we built in the structure where we could bear that burden, where the more people that brought in uh, three people, the more free product we were shipping. And at one point, we we're shipping out, you know, tens of thousands of of free kits, free product kits per month as a result of that marketing initiative. On the other end of that, we had an incentive structure, a compensation plan that um, compensated our sellers based on them helping more people receive their product for free. And the more that they mm -hmm. did that, the more we unlocked additional incentives. We had a BMW program that we put 18,000 BMWs uh, uh, into our sellers' hands uh, through the BMW program. We had million-dollar cash bonuses if they you know, did enough of the activity that we just described. And so we mm -hmm. built a very complicated, multifaceted, multivariable uh, compensation plan. And that was one of the big primary reasons for the fact that we were able to, you know, grow and scale, you know, to the size that we are, we, we did. So, so walk me through numbers too. So when you joined, where was it at versus, because you won awards, I think, for turning this company around, no? Yeah. At, at some well, point. Yeah. So it, it went through, when I bought it, it was doing about 20,000 a month in sales. And then I scaled it to, uh, and I, I do have to say, I had a fantastic team. It wasn't just me. I hate even the fact that I say I. Uh, because it was a we, you know, I had great investors, great business partners, um, great founding uh, team members. And I was, my primary role was 
handling the finance, raising the funds, providing the strategic direction, and organizing you know the operation of the team. But there were some great contributors along the way. But you know, for the sake of of explaining how it went. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there, juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution, it's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Uh, bought it at 25000 uh, built and scaled it, uh, and this was in 2005, and then built and scaled it to the summer of 2008, where I sold it to a publicly traded company called Blythe, which was on the NYSE. 
Um, I was doing about 25 million a year at the time, a couple million a month in sales when I sold it. Immediately upon the signing of the deal, the Great Recession hit. I sold it on 8-4-2008. And by September of 2008, the Great Recession hits. The company basically goes into severe debt. I went from $2.5 million a month, roughly, down to $600,000 a month. Uh, I had accumulated a ton of debt to try to stay afloat. Um, the business was uh, burning cash to the tune of like $600,000 a month. Business was burning $600,000 a month. We were down to about our last 600,000. The public company that bought us wrote us down to zero. And so the, the gains that I was able to take off the table as a result of their acquisition, because it was a multi-year earnout that was structured as part of the acquisition, I had to put back in to salvage the deal, which myself and my co-founders and one of my other investors did. And we kept the deal alive. We re-engineered the company, uh, came up with the challenge idea that I had mentioned. And then from mm -hmm. there, I scaled it in a um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, with, you know, in a new economic environment post-recession where, excuse me, we were able to take a lot of market share and, and we were able to, while our competitors were retracting, we cut our losses, re-engineered our, um, you know, our compensation plan, re-engineered our product offering, re-engineered everything, and we were able to expand while everyone else was uh, retracting. And we took the number one share in Shake during that time. We got to a 23% market share. And we were number one over Costco, GNC, and everyone during that time based on the wow. innovations that I've described. That's amazing. Um, now, I know that there's been, like, as you built this up, um, obviously the, the business model was successful, but there was a lot of, the, you got a lot of pushback. Like there's a lot of, of shit about this business model that, that didn't vibe with people. Obviously it's, it's come up again and again. So what went right? What didn't go right? Why was there so much press around, uh, like how you grew the company? Like, why was this something that I guess it seems like, you know, there's a lot of companies that do direct selling models. Um, various companies do like affiliate multi-level uh, setups. But in particular, you were covered by tons of news outlets. Uh, there was like some legal issues that came up from this as well. So I'm curious oh, yeah. as to why this all came came to be. Well, one, you know, I, I could tell you I made a lot of mistakes by all means. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I was hyper competitive. And mm -hmm. I got into a lot of competitive oriented situations and lawsuits that, you know, in retrospect, I, I uh, should not have. The other thing is I sold to a publicly traded company and we became the most meaningful portion of their revenue. And so all of a sudden we started getting a ton of, of press around that. Every time the public company released earnings, their stock would blow up basically because, you know, the publicly traded company, which was basically a sleeper in dormant with zero growth and in fact was going downward and retracting all of a sudden now had hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, you know, on a quarterly basis and significant sums of profit. And so all of a sudden all eyes were on us, both from the media and from Wall Street. And, you know, we were... Um, we were not a fortified business model by any means. The other thing that occurred that was um, uh, a, a big mistake was the publicly traded company couldn't afford to pay us the earnout, So they uh, persuaded us to go public. And as a result of that, now all of a sudden my company, as opposed to, you know, accelerating our growth and building fortification and building a strong infrastructure, my entire management team and everybody was focused on ringing the bell. I, myself included, you know, there's such a gratifying 
idea that I would, you know, take this company from near bankruptcy to ringing the bell. So we, we lost our focus and lost our, our, um, you know, our, our discipline to building a, a company and fortifying at that time, we should have had done nothing but, you know, fortify for growth and, and continue to invest in growth related initiatives, not try to ring the bell and go public. We weren't ready for that. So there were a lot of things that we did wrong. There were a lot of mistakes that we made, you know, um, and, you know, some of the, the, the negative activity that we had was uh, short seller enticed in that there was a we were the number one most shorted stock in all of Wall Street for wow. you know, over a year. And so, you yeah. know, there were so many people that were trying to uh, stimulate negative act activity against us. And then there was plenty of things that we did that were, um, you know, just. You know, just uh, like the perfect storm, a perfect storm of everything. It was rookie mistakes. Yeah. It was public too soon. It was short seller activity. It's all this shit coming together that yeah. probably and caused you a few gray hairs is, too. Yeah. The second thing is, is when, you know, all of a sudden you're putting up a uh, hundred million in profit, like every attorney in the world is, is looking to figure out a way that they can squeeze you. So the bigger you are, the bigger the target that you are. So I had short sellers going after me. I had ambulance chasers going after me. I had competition going after me. And then I was, you know, also, uh, I, I, I was not ready for that onslaught by any means. But we had class action lawsuits that all eventually got settled, but a ton of them. Like there was class action lawsuit after class action lawsuit after class, uh, class action lawsuit. Over a billion dollars of class action lawsuits against us at one given time. <laughs> one was for texting incorrectly. I had no idea that you weren't allowed to text people. Uh, another one was for product efficacy that we ended up uh, winning. Uh, and another one was for the way the IPO was handled, which I didn't know that I couldn't cite, uh, you know, uh, like you see Elon Musk trouble that he's going through. Like every yeah. time I tweet, I would have an SEC filing and another, you know, citing in a lawsuit. So I had no idea how to conduct myself as a publicly traded uh, company and as a public figure by any means. Yeah, that's not that's not easy to say. And and do you still stand by like the core business model, like the direct selling multi level affiliate? Because that also has gotten just a lot yeah. of negative. So yeah. how do you yeah. do that model right? Yeah, you you can't. So I will tell you, you you can very much do that model right. And there is a lot of um, good that comes from that model, but you have to be very careful because compensation drives behavior. And as you know, human behavior is very hard to calculate. And so you might very well be creating you know, great ideas and great incentives and so forth that create behaviors that aren't in alignment with your personal values and brand. And when you have a million people out there marketing your company on your behalf, which we did, you're going to have a lot of, 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 of chaos and you're going to have a lot of people that are doing it uh, in ways that are not in alignment with your values and in alignment with the brand's values. And so you have to have a strong compliance. You have to have strong policing of this. You have to be very rigid and tight. And, and, and it's a very difficult environment to do correctly. It's highly competitive. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the wild, wild west of sales. So I learned a ton from it. Uh, I'm no longer within the industry at all. So I can speak very objectively about it. And, you know, and I can tell you that there's some, there's some great things that come as a result of the industry. But then there's also some, you know, some, um, uh, some chaos that it's a result yeah. of it as well. If you're not correct, if you're not disciplined, and you're not forward thinking enough to understand the various things that could come your way. Some of these companies uh, do create uh, 
you know, vehicles, marketing campaigns, messages, sales systems, and compensation systems that are not uh, great for the consumer. A quick break from this podcast to recommend another podcast that you have to check out. It's called The Product Boss. It's hosted by Jacqueline and Mina. It's part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you have a physical product, this podcast is hyper-tailored to you. It's going to help you take your business to the next level. In a recent episode, for example, they spoke about the power of TikTok for product businesses and how to use it to drive sales. And as somebody who is a little new to TikTok, I really learned some great tips for creating content that actually converts viewers into customers. They have a workshop style format that makes it really easy to follow along to take your business to the next level. So if you sell physical products, subscribe to The Product Boss wherever you get your podcast to unlock social media, marketing, and business strategies that create your dream business and then your dream life. How do you, as a advice to young entrepreneurs, how do you manage and how do you deal with that chaos if you're, if you're successful, which is when all the chaos happens, right? Yeah. What advice would you give somebody? One, don't, don't, uh, don't escape to drugs and alcohol, you know? Uh, yeah. that, that's it a lesson happens I probably know. a lot. Yeah. When, you know, if you can imagine, I had a million people selling for me, of which I had about 10,000 full-time people selling. So although I only had 580 full-time team members, I had about 10,000 full-time field members. And, you know, and, and that was a lot of responsibility and it all happened within 24 months. So I went from leading a company of about 70 people in total, actually less, about 20 people in total, to leading a company of about 10,000 people uh, in total in less than 24 months. So I grew too fast. I didn't have a grounded foundation. I was doing everything for external validation. I was, you know, I was chasing the next payday, the next award, the next best-selling book, uh, all external things, status seeking, payday seeking. And then once I got those awards, those, uh, you know, those, those ego boosts, those status, uh, uh, you know, uh, adrenaline rushes, I, you know, I, I, I lost my sights on what I was really building. And also once the acquiring company uh, took over and owned the majority of the company, I lost a lot of my equity incentive to build it. And so it is a story where, you know, a lot of people did do very well from it. Investors made a lot of money and, you know, I certainly did very well from it. But, you know, in, in retrospect, I, it was not nearly as successful as it could have been. And, you know, I had a business doing a hundred million a year in sales. I'm sorry, a hundred million a year in profits and that business no longer exists. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I would say that it's, you know, it was a success for me personally, but you know, I, I learned a lot and I, I'm certainly not doing a lot of the same things I was doing, uh, back then, uh, in my present form as an entrepreneur. And, and you, so you sold that in, in 2012. And then yeah. what did you do? What did you do after you decompressed for a couple of years? Like no, now we're, now we're talking I, in 2022. <laughs> yeah, I increased, I increased my compression. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I added more, um, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, first time I'd ever had a significant wealth, you know, tens of millions yeah. of dollars in my bank account. I had my own private jet as part of the deal to sell the business. They, you know, they had to buy me a plane. Uh, I had, you know, assistance and, you know, some notoriety and it got to my head. And so I, you know, traveled the world and I continued on, you know, as a more of a figurehead, I would say I was involved operationally, of course, but I wasn't as emotionally involved as I was on the way up 
once I got to this top of the mountain, I spent more time contemplating spending the money than I did making it. Mm-hmm. So that was from 2012. Also at the time I was facing some personal. You, you guys are going to say, how'd you handle that? Like, how'd you handle the money? How'd you handle this ride? Like, were, did, were, were you okay? Like coming out of this? Like, was it psychologically? I think you're going to allude, speak to it in a second, but yeah. how did that impact you? Well, there's two other things that were going on that were very challenging. And that is one, I had a, a young son with autism and that, that was, broke my heart tremendously to see him in constant pain and suffering and to not know how to handle that as a new father. Um, I also had a mother that, that had uh, fallen down a flight of stairs and was in a coma for two years. Um, and uh, after she woke up from the coma, it was just after I, I sold the business, uh, she was severely handicapped for the rest of her life. And so there was a tremendous amount of family pressure on me as well as business pressure all at one time. And it was a pressure cooker. I didn't understand it at the time. I now have you know some clarity. I did end up uh, decompressing. Um, I decided to step down in 2016 from my uh, role at Vaisalis. I, I, I left as uh, CEO. I left the board. Um, I walked away from my venture fund that was a $20 million venture fund and cashed out there. And I walked away from boards and other private investments. And I went to basically zero. No business activity. Uh, did nothing uh, for a period of two years and just deeply went on a healing journey. My mother passed away during that time. And, um, and I wanted to be with her and I didn't want to be distracted from my final days with her. And I knew that there was a lot of healing that needed to be done, uh, post her transition. And so I spent two years doing that. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't tell you I did it correctly at all. In fact, I love mentoring entrepreneurs now because, you know, the perspective that I have is, is really filled with experience that didn't work out for me. And so I can advise entrepreneurs through acquisitions and through venture funding and through public offerings and things like I do now, because I have had the experience of saying like, these are some of the things you should be thinking about. None of my mentors ever really cared about how I was holding up. Um, They just cared about me continuing to produce the gains and continuing to generate the returns. And so I like to mentor entrepreneurs in a way where I can help them really think more holistically about the actions that they're taking. No, that's it's smart, and I think that sometimes it takes somebody who has built a, a, a probably an almost almost billion dollar. Uh, don't know what the valuation is, but it was it was up there for sure. But yeah. a, a several hundred million dollar company to yeah, yeah. yeah. seven hundred ninety two million was the valuation, but we did two billion in sales. So I tell people yeah. I, <laughs> I just had two billion dollars roll through my hands in experimentation. So yeah, yeah, all all you're buying for me, if I'm mentoring you, is that I've had $2 billion worth of experience. Some of it has been very profitable and I've had some miserable failures, uh, like $25 million failures here and $50 million failures (laughs) there and, you know, ton of failures. Right. So I could I could tell you by way of my failures on the other end of it, I now have a lot of wisdom that I that I'm privileged to be able to share with people. And what are you, okay, so what are you working on now? So what, what is, uh, so you have, well, you've written a book, obviously that was out in, I think a couple of years ago, you yeah, wrote a book, a, uh, a rock out. bottom. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And now yeah. you're at altar call, correct? Yeah. I've, so I've written uh, a couple of books, uh, nothing to lose everything to gain rock bottom to rock star. You can buy them wherever books are sold if you're interested, which talks about my entrepreneurial journey. But after I published Rock Bottom to Rockstar, I went to the greatest rock bottom that I'd ever had in the loss of my mother. 
And during that time, I was faced not only with the loss of my mother, but I went through a custody battle after, you know, I did some things very abruptly and uh, I was uh, in, a, in a very difficult condition, like the worst place that you can imagine. And I hit rock bottom in a way that I'd never imagined. It wasn't a financial rock bottom to the same way that I had experienced in the past. You know, I'd, I'd done all right and I'd made sure well, more than all right. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd had a great environment, great house, you know, um, uh, 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 basically I'd set up an environment where I could do some deep healing work and I did nothing but deeply heal for two years. And during that period of time, I went deep into meditation, into breath work, into ancient wisdoms. I studied, I made my full-time job healing me because of the way I was raised, the traumatic environment, the abusive father and mother, the gang environment. I'd never healed any of that stuff. I just channeled it into an insatiable appetite for success. And I had brought that success in, but then the more success that I brought, the emptier I was. And I was an empty cup when my mother passed away. And I wasn't happy with my life. I wasn't happy with my friendships. I wasn't happy with anything. And so I went and rebuilt myself basically brick by brick during that time. And as I continued to build and build, people would reach out to me for help and I would mentor people. And I started to envision creating a mentoring organization and being able to help entrepreneurs that are suffering from burnout, that are stressed out, that aren't making and maximizing the impact, that aren't as productive as they could be or as impactful as they could be, that I'd be able to provide them the tools that I was learning to be able to maximize their impact and maximize their productivity. And so I've been building systems, hiring team members, and scaling that enterprise, which is called Alter Call, now for the past two years after I emerged uh, you know, from the depths of the suffering that I had uh, been experiencing. And and that time when your when your mom passed was that the point when you when you realized it that was the first was that the first thing that was like a like a just it just hit you like yeah. like this is like nothing in my life I'm actually content with even after reaching these upper echelons of success and having all this success in my life that's the moment so what you're trying to do now is you're trying to help people so that they don't have this breaking point at some point yeah. in their life yeah well, a little bit of like introspection and self awareness I guess is what you're focused on. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. the the part that in my awakening is the best way to describe it occurred when my mom passed away and the people that I had surrounded myself with did not have the love and empathy that I needed at the time. Now, that's my own fault. I surrounded myself with people that weren't loving and empathetic people, but I all of a sudden needed a lot of it and it wasn't there. Um, and so I went into a stage of isolation where I would not speak to anyone. I did a vow of silence for months. I reevaluated every aspect of my life, my friendships, uh, my conduct, my uh, way of being. And the thing that really um, hurt the most was I realized that I had taken time away that I could have had with her for, you know, these relationships and this behavior. And I was sick to my stomach that I had traded, you know, hangovers and late nights and partying and all this stuff. And I could have given that time to my mother and I could have had more time and more of a connection with her. And so I was devastated at the reality that I had wasted precious time with her. And I was so mad at myself and so mad at my environment and so mad at everything that it was the best way to describe it was like a nuclear bomb went off and I set fire to my old identity. You know, a lot of people had, you know, I was I was in a notable situation. So a lot of people mm -hmm. had seen me as 
such as such a, you know, like a person who, you know, Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home, your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything, and your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock, fingerprint, tap, I'm inside. And honestly, I also feel way safer. It's got this awesome built-in camera. So whether it's a package delivery or late night Uber order, I see exactly who's there right from my phone. There are no more mystery knocks. And the best part, this thing was such a breeze to set up. There's no wires, there's no drilling. Uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees. So if you are done fumbling with your keys, because I definitely am, search for Eufy Video Lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Your front door, your sanity. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Ever flinches, could be losing his mother, be going through a son with autism, you know, uh, getting sued a billion dollars and he's still showing up every single day and he's still pushing forward. And, and, you know, once my mother passed away, those walls came crumbling down and I had a reality check that, that awakened me to, a, uh, you know, to the reality of who I was, to what my shadow was, to who I was. And I hated every piece of it. Now, in retrospect, I was probably really tough on myself there and, and overly tough because there was a lot of good that I've contributed. I've been always been a very generous person. and I've I've helped a lot of people along the way. Um, and, you know, I've always been a very loving father and so forth. But at that particular time, I didn't love a single thing about me. And so I said to myself, I'm going to put 100 percent of my energy into rebuilding me. And I'm going to do so in such a way that no matter uh, what happens, that I will know that I have built a better version of me when I come out of this against the odds that I was you know, facing at the time. How do you how do you get entrepreneurs to take a, a look at themselves and and understand everything that you started to understand way earlier on in the game? You you have to you know there's 
and it's a great question. Most of us entrepreneurs, there's, there's not very many people who have gone through the fire and come out the other end of it with more wisdom. And so you have to have a mentor that's gone through the fire in an amazing way because you are not going to be prepared to go through that fire. Like there's no way anyone could have prepared me for what I experienced, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if someone would have sat me down and said, you're going to have 3 million customers, a million this, uh, you know, Wall Street after you, media after you, women after you, uh, people trying to steal your money, you know, and, you know, your mother's going to pass away and your son's going to have autism. You know, uh, let me give you some advice. I'd have been like, you know, no, thank you. So you got to have yeah. people around you on your corner that have been through the fire. And, you know, there's this archetype that occurs in this thing that we call the hero's journey and, and you know, and consciousness work that we do. And you want to find people that have been through the fire, that have been humbled as a result of it, and that are now back with wisdom to, to teach. And so that's the number one piece of advice that I uh, give to entrepreneurs. And I take people, I take the entrepreneurs that I mentor through a process where I help them see the true reality of where they're at, of who they are, how they're communicating. And when you really see that and you're willing to look at your shadow and you become aware of the negative attributes and and characteristics that you have to work on, that's when the real work begins and that's when the transformational work begins. So I help entrepreneurs go through a transformational process most of them are in the middle of a life change. You know, they're about to exit their company. One of my entrepreneurs that's part of my program just sold his company last week in a $75 million transaction. And, you know, I'm, I'm helping him think about these things as he's was, you know, I was helping him negotiate the transaction. Then as he's closed the transaction, now I'm helping him start to think about some things now that he's got a significant sum of money behind him and he's cemented mm-hmm. himself, you know, as a successful entrepreneur. I'm helping him, you know, think about these things uh, in a way that, prevents him from creating some of the same challenges that I created as a result of not having good guidance and mentorship in the process. Do you, do you think, do you believe that most entrepreneurs suffer from depression, um, from some sort of, uh, psychological trauma? Uh, you, you, so I, I've never said this out loud before, but you just prompted me to think of something. And that is that in order to be a person that likes to take a lot of risk, you, you mm-hmm. have to have had an environment that's conducive to that, right? Like it's rare to find a person. I mean, there might be a rare person that had a, a, a you know, a, a comfort upbringing, comfortable upbringing and just decides they want to take risk. But generally when you, when you are risk, you have a high appetite for risk in general, you, um, you're going to have to have some conditions that stimulated that appetite for risk. And that could be a traumatic upbringing. That could be, you know, you extracted some lessons in a certain way based on seeing your parents' financial scarcity or Mm -hmm. by the way your parents raised you. But in general, there's something that stimulates you to be very risk oriented. To be successful, you got to take a lot of risk. Very interesting. No, I've, I've had this conversation a few times. It's just not something that we, we cover or talk about enough. We talk too much about the hustle culture and the, and the grinding nonstop and whatnot. And actually, you took it a step further with that point. The fact that to even to want to do this, there's something, there's something, there's something in you that just prompts you to go down the highest risk, most, you yeah. know, most treacherous, most, you know, unstable job option you could ever want to do. Yeah, and, like if you saw somebody taking risks, high risk in their sex life or high risk in their uh, their nutritional life, you'd be like, that's that person's yeah. off their they're out of their mind. Yeah, 
And yeah, then you yeah. see a person taking high risk in their career and you're like, I want to follow them and be an entrepreneur just like that person, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So high risk is high risk. <laughs> yeah. And and how do you, okay, so when you work with some of these entrepreneurs, what are some, let's, let's just give over, there's obviously a lot of tactical advice, but an entrepreneur that's trying to uh, stay the course, navigate all these different things that are coming up. They're very successful. Things are moving quickly. What are some things that you teach over to entrepreneurs so that they can, you know, navigate this stuff well? Yeah. Well, one, you, you have to make time and I did not do this, but you have to make time and your highest priority has to be that you're taking care of your own uh, self-love and, and energy conditioning you have to make the time for that. And you have to make that your number one priority because you cannot serve from an empty cup. And I was trying to serve from an empty cup and I needed to use caffeine and Adderall and different substances to keep serving and keep serving because I wasn't replenishing correctly. The other thing is, is you have to learn how to master the mind. I, I always was very competitive, so I was very strong in the body. But I thought meditation was a gimmick. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was for, you know, gurus that wore weird clothes and, you know, not me. I'm a... <laughs> ADD, caffeine drinking entrepreneur. I want to go, go, go. And what I've come to learn in, in, in my meditation practice is meditation actually enhances your intelligence. It enhances your IQ. It grounds you. It helps you process. And so spending time in meditation and most importantly, contemplation, I spend at least an hour plus a day in meditation and in contemplation. I'd say it's probably averaging two hours a day. And I do that before I enter you know, my day of work. And I'm often up at 4, 4.30 a.m. doing this work. So by the time I arrive to my team, I've already processed. I've let go of the negativity from the prior day. I've learned something. I've learned something about myself. And so I've generally won, and I've also exercised and eat a nutritious meal prior to even entering my day. So by the time that I show up to work, I've already won the day. Mm -hmm. Now, all I have to do is apply what I've learned, you know, not react, you know, try to have as much uh, passion and kindness and empathy as I possibly can. And my day is basically heaven on earth now because I've done this enough days consistently to where I have a full cup to serve each day that I walk into. And, and how do you, so you're saying that that practice effectively replaces the go, go, go Adderall fueled, caffeine fueled, like hustle call. Cause like, I just want to make sure that if you're reinventing yourself and trying to be more mindful, is there any benefit at all to having a little bit of that crazy attitude towards hustle and getting shit done? Does that benefit an entrepreneur? Or are you saying let's, that's like a legacy view of entrepreneurship. Let's shelve that and let's approach it completely differently. Well, it's not the most sustainable way to go, but it's, it's a great fuel source, but you will crash and it has a half-life to it. And gotcha. many entrepreneurs that I know, you know, we love that fuel source and you're being fueled off of generally the negative. You're being fueled off the desire to impress people. You're being fueled off the desire to prove yourself. You're being fueled off a desire to, you know, to have status or you're being fueled off something, right? And that's the go, go, go. I'm not going to stop. And you'll hear a lot of gurus out there, modern day gurus. They'll talk about, you have to be obsessed. You have to be obsessed, which, you know, I, I understand that, that idea. And I, you know, I, I have a fair amount of, of, you know, of, of drive and ambition, uh, that is innate within me. And so I do understand that. But I would argue that the most sustainable fuel source is the fuel source of service and of contribution. And so if you can move off of these lower 
uh, frequency fuel sources and onto a fuel source that is more sustainable and learn how to utilize that fuel source. You'll have a more sustainable ride and you'll have more impact. I was afraid that I would lose productivity when I, you know, I thought that maybe I'll never be a, 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 as good of an entrepreneur as I once was. I had that thought when I did two years worth of the deep journey inward, I thought like maybe I'll never be, you know, maybe it is a, uh, great entrepreneurship is a product of some screws that are loose. And I've come to learn now that I'm more productive, I'm more efficient, I have greater clarity, I make better decisions, and I have more consistency than I ever dreamed of. And so I know without a doubt what I am building now will far surpass anything that I've ever built. I just have to build it for enough days in a row consecutively mm -hmm. and consistently. And now I have the tools to do that. And entrepreneurship is not that hard once you learn you know, the, the fundamentals of it, you learn about leadership, you learn about finance, you learn about supply chain and technology and project management. And, you know, there's maybe 10 buckets you have to learn to become a great entrepreneur. And if you learn those 10 buckets in an efficient enough way, you don't have to be a master at all 10, but you have to learn enough about them to get some masters in all 10 of those buckets. Then entrepreneurship is very easy. As long as you have an idea and an addressable market that, is significant enough to, you know, to, uh, you know, for your solution to provide a, an answer to their problem, then it's not too difficult at all once you've learned these things. But the process of learning takes a while. It takes an average of about five years to build a foundation in a business. And I have a number of friends that are you know, very successful entrepreneurs and, you know, they'll start a new business. Guy could be a billionaire and it's going to take five years for that billionaire to build something of significance. So most entrepreneurs just don't put in the time and they don't really understand that your first five years are going to be painful. It's not going to be mm -hmm. easy. But once you build that solid foundation, the house goes up very quickly. Um, and last sort of last question on this point, uh, you've spoken a lot about conscious capitalism. What does that yeah. mean? That's how you actually build the business, right? Yeah. That's well, not like you. That's like the, the, the type of business you build or explain that. Sorry. Yeah, there's there's a shift happening right now in capitalism and and a product of it is is there's a lot of people that are against capitalism. They think capitalism is a root of all evil. We're hearing people even suggest that we should become socialists. And I'm here to tell you that is just absolutely ridiculous. Capitalism has brought more people out of poverty than any other force. It creates innovation and capitalism is going to solve the very problems that we are up against. But there are two types of capitalism. There is conscious capitalism, and that's the people uh, like ourselves that are building products that are making the world a better place, that are building entities that are conscious, that are, that are meeting the needs of employees, that are treating their team members with respect and dignity, that are providing growth opportunities. Like there's conscious capitalism, and then there's unconscious capitalism, and that's people that are doing things for the sake of power, doing things for the sake of greed, doing things for the sake of ego, or even manipulating governments and, and creating cronyism. And, and, you know, it's a form of capitalism, basically, that is not to the benefit of the people and to the benefit of the market. It's more to the benefit of the owners and, and to those who um, are in control or in power of it. And so we need to create a line in the ground because capitalism is being attacked right now. And we need to say on one side of the fence, we have conscious capitalists. And on the other side of the fence, we have unconscious capitalists. And the conscious capitalists need to create business models that are so much more effective and so much more profitable and create so much more value and retain so much better talent and cultivate and develop talent for that matter, that the unconscious capitals, uh, capitalists uh, find their way either moving over to the other side of the fence or becoming extinct. So where yeah. I was seeking to, to disrupt 
um, uh, to disrupt the direct selling industry in my last uh, uh, life uh, as an entrepreneur. I'm now seeking to disrupt capitalism and create conscious models and help other capitalists create conscious models and, and change capitalism as a result of these more effective and efficient conscious models. Amazing, man. Um, when I want to ask some rapid fire just to close it out, but before I pivot, uh, when it's all said and done, when you know you're you're old and 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 or you know one day you're going to pass on, what do you want? Uh, what do you want people to say about you about the work that you've done? What impression do you want to leave on the world? You know, I, I'm a great father, and I I've got a great son, and that you know he's he's taken the wisdom that I've given him to the next level. And that I've spread a lot of light and that there's my dream is and I the reason why I, I so love the idea of disrupting capitalism is I know that some of the beneficiaries of, of my my work are going to be my competition and are going to be people that I'll never meet. And so I would like my legacy to be that Ryan had no idea of the impact that he made because he just kept his head down making that impact every day of the week. Amazing. Um, if people want to connect with you, uh, all the socials, website, uh, anywhere yeah. you want to send people, where should they go? Just go to altercall.com. It's A-L-T-E-R-C-A-L-L.com. Or you can uh, catch me on Instagram, which is at real Ryan Blair on Instagram. And if you DM me, I'll be happy to have an exchange with you. Sounds good. Okay, perfect. And we'll, we'll put all that in the show notes too. Um, cool. Okay, a couple of rapid fire questions. Uh, biggest challenge you've overcome in your personal and professional life? What was it? How'd you overcome it? What'd you learn from it? Biggest challenge to overcome has been my ego. <laughs> that's, that's number one. Um, I've been up against a lot of enemies and the internal enemy that I had created and cultivated unintentionally was the biggest one. How did I overcome it? I did some uh, uh, deep work and I yeah. started to really think about the ego and started to really, uh, after I got a lot of negative feedback and I you know, saw a lot of negative patterns occurring, I, I said, I got to go do some work over here. Um, did I answer that question? Yeah, you did. You're good. You're good. I know you touched on that in detail before, so I'm not gonna yeah. not gonna keep going down and beating it to death. Um, if you had to choose one person, obviously there's been many, but pick one person who's had a major impact on your life. Who was that person, and what did they teach you? My son. You know, he his struggles with autism, and now on the other end of it, you know, he's healed and he's just smart and resourceful and he's a total negotiator. He out negotiates me all the time and I'm pretty good at this. And I'm just amazed. Like there's the other day he, he figured out a way to get some money out of my pocket. And I was like, wow, like uh, I've got a negotiator on my hands. One day I, I hope he solves world peace or some other big noble project <laughs> with the negotiation skills that he's uh, obtained thus far. And he's only 12. So my son is my greatest teacher and, and my best friend. I love that. Um, a book or podcast or something that's impacted your life that you'd recommend people go check out? You know, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. So I, I turn to the Bible based on my faith and my upbringing. But I encourage people of all faiths, you know, these ancient wisdoms that have been around for thousands of years, the reason why they're still around is because there is deep wisdom within it. And so I recommend go to the ancient books, go, go think about the wisdom within these books and the stories that are still being told to this day and try to extract, you know, from those stories and those wisdoms. That's where I spend most of my time, but I read a ton of books and I'll, I'll share with you one that I'm reading right now. That's, you know, that's more practical and that is conscious business 
by a guy named Fred Kaufman, uh, who is a fantastic uh, conscious business leader. And so I recommend his book to anyone that's interested. Amazing. If you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Uh, don't do drugs. Don't, uh, you know, don't do alcohol. And I'd say if you don't do drugs and you don't do alcohol, you're going to make a lot better decisions in your life and your life is going to be a lot happier. Uh, pretty much that's it. Have you, have you stopped drinking too? Completely? Yeah, I don't, I don't do anything. I, I quit drinking, uh, going on four years, three, yeah, going on four years now. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I live a very pure lifestyle now. Yeah. Very good. Um, okay. And last question. Uh, what does success mean to you? Success is having the peace of mind. I'm quoting John Wooden here, who also was a very dear mentor to me and I'll paraphrase it. Success is having the peace of mind of knowing that you did the best you could with what you have. And I, I'm still not successful by that measure because I still have not done the best I can with what I have because I know that I'm blessed to have so much. So every single day, that definition has me seeking to make improvements and to continue to dial in, you know, my mind, my body and my soul. So that way I can be as productive and as generous in my role as I possibly can be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.